You were tuned into the Gebert Mayer Gage, the podcast about light matter interactions with Jay Foley and Dugan Hayes. So we took a bit of a hiatus over the summer, but fall semester is back in full swing, and we plan to resume recording and releasing uh, this podcast on a monthly basis. Um, and we've got our Back to Basics series uh, planned, so those should be hitting uh, your stream really soon. Uh, so the episode today, we're going to talk about uh, an, an album by Laura Stevenson that is extremely uh, personally important for both me and Dugan. And this episode is really special um, for me because we got to record it live uh, together in Atlanta when we were there for the ACS meeting. Um, we actually sat in a hot tub outside of our Airbnb and recorded the whole thing. So while it's not like we normally do an extensive job editing uh, the podcast, um, I'm actually going to leave this episode more or less uh, unedited, uh, except for a few times when the microphone fell off of the hot tub. I also want to give a content warning for this episode. Um, the, this episode, we discuss um, child abuse, domestic abuse, uh, substance abuse and alcohol abuse and death. Uh, that relates to the content matter of the album itself, um, which is Sit Resist by Laura Stevenson, but also some of our personal experiences that uh, we connect to this album. Um, at the time that there is graphic content in the episode, I will insert a brief content warning at the time as well. So if you prefer to fast forward through that material, uh, you'll know when to do it. What, do you have a do you have a idea of what sit resist means? No, I actually, I've never really I have figured no, it out. I have no idea. Um, but presumably the chair is, you know, has yes. to do with sitting. Yeah, and resisting. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I could. I guess I could speculate a little bit. Um. I mean, I'm just, I, I was wondering if there was, like, something very obvious that I was missing, so... Okay. At least, if you feel like that's not the case, then that makes me feel better. <laughs> no, it's not the case, yeah. I, there's a theme in, in, or there's, like, the song 808. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, that my, my speculation would deal with, like, trying to take a phrase... Uh, to encapsulate what the song 808 is about. Um, which, the song 808 is one of my absolute favorite songs by Laura Stevenson, period. I think, like, yeah, it's one of my, I don't know what my favorite song is, but it's one of my favorite songs. Yeah, for sure. But, um, it describes a period in her life where she was, like, sinking into a very deep depression and... So, like, she, I'm getting a lot of this from, like, her commentary version. Yes. Which, uh, I've still never listened to. Okay. So, when... I feel like you have a lot to teach me. Okay. From having listened to it. Probably more than one. <laughs> so, the very, the ver the last, uh, tracks of the album, um, kind of go in and out of, of things that 
that relate to this story about 808, but like when Laura was a teenager, um, she uh, was struggling a lot with depression and had to be hospitalized. And actually, the song Icy Dark is about that period of time. Mm, okay. Um, because she was hospitalized and she was uh, sharing a room or near adjacent to a woman who was like um, suffering from schizophrenia and was like really like having like some extremely like horrifying struggles. Sure. Um, so that song is about that experience of being by her. But anyway later on in life and I don't know exactly when this was but it's when she was I, I from everything I could gather it's when she was with uh, Mike who she's now married to mm-hmm. the bass player for the band yeah. um, and she started to really struggle with depression again all, you know like in a way that seemed like it was going to be as bad or worse than when she was a teenager mm. and um so she was talking about sort of like the impulse to sort of just like respond to that depression by just sort of like destroying everything around her, destroying her relationships, like just kind of withdrawing into herself and like shutting herself off from everybody and um, sort of like somehow being able to um, get to a place where she could sort of like just be sort of okay uh, with the depression and not like give in to the impulse to sort of like push everybody away and destroy everything um, so I do kind of wonder if there's a connection there but that is highly speculative <laughs> Okay. Um, uh, one of the things that like a phrase that is like off repeated like um, in therapeutic circumstances at least as I have experienced them is like being able to sort of sit with your difficult feelings right rather than try sure. to like fight them yeah right like you know just when you to accept that there's you know they're not going to just magically change yes exactly you just need to like learn how to live with it right but then also like there is also but I think resist. a place for resistance because yeah. like there are the behaviors that you have in response to those difficult feelings, which are like, they could be destructive behaviors, they could be self-destructive behaviors, they could be isolating behaviors, mm-hmm. but like, um, yeah, so, so. Okay. That's my, that's my speculation. All right, well, welcome everyone. You are listening to the Geppert Mayer Gage. You're listening to a very special episode mm-hmm. of the podcast about light matter interaction and Laura Stevenson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, what makes this episode so special, Jay? So, a couple things. Uh, number one, we're talking about Sit Resist, which is an, <laughs> an amazing album by Laura Stevenson. And it's an episode we've been talking about doing for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, since we started, basically. Basically since we started. Um Number two, we're in Atlanta. We're in Atlanta. For the ACS. Uh, hometown of Jay Foley himself. Yes, it's, so my hometown. Um, and also, um, yeah, so <laughs> also a place that I have a lot of conflicted feelings about 
and by conflicted feelings, I will say a lot of unresolved trauma for my childhood. Sure. That that for various reasons, the album Sit Resist that we're talking about has played a pretty significant role in my processing of mm-hmm. those <laughs> unresolved traumas in the last year. Um, Which so, is awesome that you know uh, a single work of art can resonate so profoundly that yes not only do you sort of understand the artist's perspective but it actually like you know helps you figure out your own your own life in a lot of ways yeah so that is pretty awesome yes I would agree but what else is special about this episode Jay uh we're actually sitting in a hot tub <laughs> and we're together exactly so for the first time. for the first time that's actually i should have led with that <laughs> this is the first time i've seen dugan since we have started the podcast and actually oh God, much that's longer true. much longer than wow that. that's crazy yeah that's probably the longest we've ever not seen each other since we met i think so yeah yeah the lat was the last time i saw you when i actually came to rhode island I it guess must it was. have been yeah yeah so that was 2019. No, that was 2018. Or was that after ACS San Diego? No, that's right. ACS San okay. Diego was the last time. Still, that was two years ago at this point. Yeah. It was. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we've been doing this podcast, but <laughs> just a little peek behind the curtain when we were getting ready to record, Jay was like, oh, I got to get my headphones on. I gotta, you know, set up the Zencaster, and I was like, Jay, no, I'm right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're literally just talking to each other. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's crazy that this is how people, you know, some podcasts at least always do, always get things done. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's been, um, it's been a really interesting time here at ACS. I would say this is an ACS like no other. Yes. And almost exclusively in bad ways. Yes. But, you know, I'm sure everyone can understand why that might be the case. Um, But, yeah, it's been... I'm still glad that I came in person, even though it seemed like everyone had more... Everyone more or less just gave up on this conference. Yeah. No, it's written really wild. So it's a hybrid conference. <laughs> and I'm not sure what percentage of the programming is in person, but it's got to be 20% or less. Yeah. And uh, they're still holding the conference at the convention center, which is a gigantic place. It's just a ghost town. Yeah. It's so bizarre. It's really, really, really strange. Um, so hopefully this is the last time ACS looks like this. But, yeah, I hope so. Um, yeah, we're 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 both planning to be in person at San Diego again mm-hmm. in this in the spring. Yeah, fingers crossed. So that fingers crossed. Exactly, and then we can do uh, a rejoiceful episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully we'll have more positive things to say about the ACS experience. Yeah. That said. Um, still very happy I came. Yes. Uh, my time here was uh, 
curtailed, or I guess, I don't know, is that the right word? What, what's the word when you curtail something on the beginning rather than that? Oh, yeah. Anyway, it was a lot, <laughs> I had a lot less time here than I initially anticipated because of the so-called Hurricane Henri that ended up not happening. But my three days in Atlanta have been really nice. I've never been here before. Um, so it was nice to just uh, see something new. It's a beautiful city. It's great to be able to spend time with you in person. And we just, Jay just took me on a nice, uh, fairly thorough walking tour of the Georgia Tech campus, his alma mater, which is really, really, really beautiful. Um, so that was a lot of fun. That was, um, I really enjoyed seeing that. So hopefully, uh, you know, I know we're going to get into some... Uh, your, your conflicted feelings about <laughs> Atlanta from the perspective of growing up here, but hopefully also, you know, from a, a more positive perspective from from your times here at Georgia Tech, perhaps. So yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Yeah. Um. So like, uh, yeah. Actually, I I have again. So I guess I guess let me just like. Content warning that the next segment references physical abuse, substance abuse, and death. You may wish to skip to minute 20 to avoid this content. Jump into giving a small amount of backstory about, um, you know, my, <laughs> my childhood, um, and uh, which I will later go back and edit in the appropriate content warnings I guess <laughs> just depending on what is said so like so yeah I was born in Atlanta um, and um, I think I've alluded to this you know one time on our first episode when we talked about dirty but like um, you know so like when I was 10 uh, my parents split up um, so I had a really close relationship with my dad my dad had a lot of struggles with um, alcoholism and that eventually led to the the you know the end of my uh, parents marriage and um, shortly and so I was like in third grade at the time um, like very abruptly my mom started a relationship with my third grade teacher um, and they got married not about a year after that oh wow I did not realize that he was your yeah teacher wow. <laughs> um, and then uh, about three months after they were married, um, I went on a trip with my dad and my brother uh, to Nashville, which is where my dad's from. And uh, he died in his sleep in the room that I was sharing with him. So I found him dead in the morning. Um, and oh my God. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so that was sort of Wait, like- how old were you? I was, uh, I had just turned 11. God, and you found him. That's I can't even begin to wow. Yeah, so it was it was really horrific. Um, but I think what um, you know um, if I had had um, you know like healthy functional remaining parents, um, perhaps I could have properly dealt with yeah. that loss over time but what actually happened 
is that uh, my third grade teacher that my mom married um, is a very disturbed person, uh, just to say the, say the least, and like immediately instituted like very, um, you know, I mean like number one, a lot of like control, uh, but also like regular, you know, doses of physical abuse um, is sort of like masquerading as just like, you know, punishment for transgressions, like mm -hmm. sort of started with like, you know, using a belt basically on my bare ass for like, you know, whatever transgressions. This would be like months after my dad to die, mm -hmm. which kind of instituted this like kind of fear that I had about like never doing anything that, you know, went against something that he asked. So that yeah, kind sure. of like set up the situation where I, you know, literally just spent my entire young childhood like trying to avoid like setting this person off. Mm -hmm. um, when I became a teenager and like that sort of like ordinary defiance like crept in, then like just, you know, that, you know, the sort of corporal punishment uh, escalated into just like, you know, attacks with fists and other sorts of things and so like I actually that continued basically until I left the house in fact like months before I left he attacked me and like knocked one of my teeth out I still have a broken tooth from that incident so like he was you know just legitimately grossly abusive um, uh, very physically violent with me and my brothers and also you know the at some point with my mom as well um, extremely controlling uh, um, you know, I I had referred to him up until the last year as my father. Yeah, I called yeah, him I dad that. because basically, you know, months after my dad died, he was like, you know, you're gonna call me dad. Mm -hmm. um, he severed relationships I had with my dad's family, um, and he sort of used the fact that my dad had this struggle with alcoholism as like yet another device to sort of like you know weaponized against me so I was like mm -hmm. you know I basically grew up into young adulthood like knowing that like I was going to be an alcoholic mm -hmm. that I had all of these vices that my dad had that I was you know fundamentally like just a piece of shit that yeah. like the only reason anything good ever happened to me was because like you know he had like conditioned me into a person that was hardworking and like could accomplish things because of you know his direction yeah so um, um, I will segue into then the first song that like really um, I connected to after I broke my relationship with him which happened like just like I don't know a month or so before we started this podcast it yeah. happened last yeah. July um and um and uh and uh, honestly i don't kn like <laughs> if you would have asked me like a week before it happened like if i would ever not have contact with that person i would have said no i like i literally thought like the only way that i would net that i would not have that person in my life is if one of us died yeah 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 um and i you know legitimately thought that he would probably kill me if I tried to ever talk about what had happened openly, if I ever tried to disobey him, if I ever 
turned against him in any way. Wow. Um, so a big reason why I kind of want to do this is because like I have spent 25 years of my life not talking about any of this, mm-hmm. and um, you know it's it it feels like a step of progress to actually talk about sure things. sure. Um, but the song Caretaker. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some interesting lines in Caretaker. So Caretaker is a song about um, this is the third track on the album. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's a song that starts out with like this is the last night in the house oh, that I was born in. Yeah. And so it's a song that Laura Stevenson wrote about um, staying in her mom's house on Long Island. Um, and I think maybe we'll uncover as we go along. But Laura Stevenson also has a very complicated and fraught relationship with both of her parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it. From what I can tell, her father also uh, had some uh, troubles with alcohol and substance abuse. Um, and her mother, uh, I think, you know, I don't know exactly. Obviously, I don't know exactly like what her mother is like. But I think it seems to be seems to be fair to say that, like, in the same way that I have a lot of conflict about my mom for like her inability to sort of like put her children before Mm -hmm. herself and all of this dysfunction I think it seems Laura has experienced a similar thing okay so I mean maybe this is something we want to come back to but I for a long time I gathered from uh from a lot of her lyrics that you know, I that yeah, she had a very fraught, has a very fraught relationship with both of her parents, um, and the song that particularly stood out to me uh, is the final track from Wheel, mm, okay, which opens with a, a funeral scene, yeah, right, and what I can't exactly remember the line from it, but it's very much like. Um, seems very much like it's sort of a good riddance sort of thing. Yeah. And I always in my mind assumed that you know from the context of the other lyrics that she was talking about like the experience of going to her dad's funeral and like you know having suffered from his abuse for a long time like being happy that he was gone. Yeah. But then I remember her telling a story before she played another song one time when I saw her live where it, it was very clear from the context that her father was very much still alive and that they had like a fairly healthy relationship. And so then I became very confused and didn't know what at all yeah. to make of that. And yeah. since then, like especially when the big freeze came out, I got much more the impression that uh, it was um, you know, the troubles she had in her childhood were most directly related to her mother, potentially like a stepfather situation as well. I don't know. Okay. Do you know? So, the story I think the counter... I don't want to speculate too much on Laura Stevenson's No, again, I I mean... No disrespect to Laura Stevenson's family. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean I I guess it's fair to say that, you know, we have like, we're sort of reconstructing some stories based on some song lyrics. Which may or may not be autobiographical at all. Some might just be but but she tells a story in the song Barnacles about mm-hmm. her father, which and it, which makes me think that um, that at least uh, 
that that relationship was not very healthy in her childhood. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's a couple of stories about the father in the sit resist commentary that that would suggest that. Okay. But I don't know if things have resolved. I mean, she. So I mean, um, I again maybe this is a little bit of inference, but she has talked about um, you know being in like uh, Alateen and Al-Anon, which is like you know these are these organizations. If you have like a family mm-hmm. member that um, you know has um, alcohol abuse problems, mm-hmm. um, and um, I gathered that was in reference to her father, and she was talking about, like, you know, sort of, like, spending all this time sort of in her, you know, young adulthood or, like, late teens, um, kind of, like, rejecting a lot of, um, you know, sort of the ethos of those organizations and sort of feeling like, um, you know, somehow she could make that relationship right and, like, do more to, like, help the other person, which I assume was her dad. Yeah. Um, but like ultimately realizing like, you know, um, you know, you can't fix that problem for somebody and, you know, again, you may just have to sort of mourn that loss. Like it's just, you know, you can't Mm -hmm. control it and it's a tragic loss in your life, but that person may just kind of be gone to you even if they're still alive. Content warning that the following segment references alcohol abuse and death. You may wish to skip to minute 27 and 30 seconds to avoid this content. Yeah, no, I, I will never forget, like, just the, like, it, it wasn't even, like, in the moment, like, sadness or anything. It was more just, like, shock and, like, at just, like, how incomprehensible it was to me. Uh, it was at my my dad's wedding when he was getting married to my stepmom. I guess this was like nine years ago at this point or something. Um, and I think it may have been the last time I saw my sister before she was like in the hospital before she died. Yeah. And she was like just very jovially like talking about you know her you know I don't even want to say like struggles or problems with alcohol because from her perspective it was just like a relationship that she had with it yeah um to me and John and she was saying like yeah I don't know why Pops is like you know he's like put me in rehab a couple times and like I'll do it and you know I'll get through whatever they make me do but like it's not going to change my mind like I have no interest in quitting drinking like I, yeah. I like it I don't want to stop I know it's going to kill me but like I just I don't care it's just what I like to do Yeah, and just I remember thinking like yeah you can't what do you say to that Yeah, I can't argue with that Yeah, there's literally nothing else you can do for a person in that state and then yeah sure enough that's what ends up happening so yeah but I guess at least Laura Stevenson's father is still (laughs) I gather I gather yeah 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 okay well maybe yeah maybe we should stick to the specific autobiographical details <laughs> the people that we know about <laughs> um sure 
No, I mean, I think probably a lot of the... Like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to say it straight up. Like, Sit Resist is one of my favorite albums of all time by anyone. But I obviously do not have anything close to the type of relationship that you have with it. Like, to me, I've, I've never bothered to listen to the commentary. I know, like, you know, a good amount of lyrics to the songs just here and there, but I've never really thought about what any of them meant. To me, it's just a beautifully diverse, yet still cohesive collection of incredibly beautiful, catchy, and fun pop songs. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, uh, there are a number of examples where it's like, you know, a very, very um, bouncy, fun-sounding song that, like, if you spend any amount of time <laughs> paying yeah. attention to the lyrics at all, you quickly <laughs> realize that, like, it's about very, very upsetting subject matter. Yeah. PG being particularly yes. good example of that. Yeah. One of like I think her you know most fun songs from, you know, a superficial standpoint. Yeah. It's like very danceable, very catchy, very easy to sing along to. But yeah, about witnessing domestic abuse as a child. Yes, right. So, not great. Not great. Um, well, the song caregiver. Okay, so I want to. Yeah, I want to continue the thread with caregiver. But I think I, I. I also, you know, I just wonder if, um, if there is, maybe some amount of resonance because actually there's a, there's a conversation that you and I had long time ago when we were, um, you know, when we were still doing the radio show, mm. um, and, um, and so let me let me say the specific line from Caregiver that I'm sort of, you know, like taking a long, maybe a long tangent from. But um, one of the one of the really poignant lines about in Caregiver, so she's talking about this the last night that she spends in her mother's house. She's taking care of her mother's house when she's trying to start this music career and her mother has not been supportive of mm-hmm. her pursuing music. Sure. Um, and this has been something that she's really had a hard time, like Laura's had a really hard time with for a very long time, evidently, in her telling. Um, I'm sure. Especially, like, you know, by all metrics that, you know, we would evaluate an independent artist from, she's an incredibly successful musician. But from the perspective of someone who, whose engagement with music is, like, you know, just listening to the radio or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, she's a dismal failure, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, you've never even charted on Billboard. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's not what we're going for. <laughs> so, yeah, I could totally see that. Yeah, and so there's, there's like, there's a few different lines. Like, there's a line where she says, like, you know, basically being here, I can't make any music. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's another line with, like, you know, don't tell me I've forgotten who I am. And so... You know these these two things, like the for, for particularly the first one, I think was like, um, so um, long time ago, Dugan, you and I had this conversation in the radio station, and we were kind of just talking about like both of us being at University of Chicago doing our PhDs and sort of like thinking about like the circumstances that we 
that we grew up in mm -hmm. and sort of like you know just sort of like noticing like a bit of un uncanniness <laughs> or something like just something unusual like that that the environments that we grew up in in various ways were not like really <laughs> pushing us in that direction and so I was sort of like at that time you know every now and again I, I think like like the fact that I did not grow up or have um, you know parents that were actually helping me in that direction was would just like occasionally poke through mm -hmm. but there was like an incident that I that I relayed to you which was that like for a very long time my stepfather was like very adamantly against like me pursuing science as a career mm -hmm. um, there were various other things like accounting or like medicine that like seemed acceptable to him and at some point when I was like in college when I was at Georgia Tech and I was like had become dead set on doing a PhD in chemistry. He was just like, one of these days, you and me are just gonna go out in the front yard and we're just gonna fight. And whoever wins, that's who decides what you can do. Um, Jesus Christ. And, um, and then, like, that did not happen, at least explicitly. And I did get a PhD, but what was sort of weird is that, like, over time, he sort of like appropriated all of these events that happened independently or happened with other people like including my friend Anton like and like when I was at Georgia Tech Anton and I traveled to Chicago and I visited David Maziotti mm -hmm. who I did my PhD for and my stepfather had nothing to do with that trip sure he did not give me a single dollar to like travel he did not support me doing that yeah. he did not help plan it but like years later he claimed that he took me there and like mm -hmm. introduced me to david like he completely like co-opted the yeah. story sure um so in this weird way i had like bought into this narrative that like yeah like shit has worked out for me like i have my phd from university of chicago i did get a faculty job that was like the job I wanted to get and like it's because of him mm -hmm. and like I could for a, so long could not accept that like I could have achieved that without him and well, then, if anything it's that you achieved it in spite of him it, it, precisely and it was sort of like this this song literally like crystallized that idea for me like I literally could not conceive of this idea yeah. Um, and then <laughs> until I heard the song, and I was like, "Yeah, no, that is actually a thing. That is actually a thing for her. That was actually a thing for me." Yeah. Yeah. Wow. As a yeah. That's a very powerful connection. Hmm. I wonder, you know, when, if ever, you know, at what point 
Laura Stevenson's mother would be willing to accept that she has had a successful career, and then if she would yeah. pursue a similar line of logic, being like, you know, you're so lucky you had me, like, yeah. supporting you all along the way. Uh, I really hope that doesn't happen, but, yeah. I mean, I hope that she just comes to support her. She yeah. told a story that, in, I think also in that commentary, that, that her mom did actually finally come to see one of her shows at the Bowery Ballroom. Seems like the least you can do. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my god. On, on the topic of Peachy and... Content warning, this segment contains a description of domestic violence. Listeners may wish to skip to 42 minutes and 30 seconds to avoid this content. Um, one of just a really dark experience connection to that the end of that song happened on my 21st birthday um which was like so i was taking organic two lab at the time and i remember i had organic two lab on wednesdays and my birthday fell on a tuesday and tuesday was one of the days that i would go and work for my stepfather so basically i came to campus on monday wednesday friday for classes Tuesday and Thursdays I reserved for working for my stepfather <clears throat> and um, doing what uh, so in during the seasonal uh, like the warmer seasons I would do landscaping okay um, he uh, it's oh gosh. Uh, so well so he wasn't a teacher anymore at that point he had his own school he and my mom had started a school oh right um, which is also a really, like, fucked up thing because, so, like, um, so when my dad died, so my dad had a, um, had a mortgage company. He was, like, the 50, he was a president and founder of a mortgage company. He did fairly well, um, and he did have, you know, a good amount of money, like, set aside for me and my brother, mm-hmm. which, um... I was coerced to turn over to my mom when I turned 18, and then she basically gave it to my stepdad. Um, so, like, I actually probably could have easily, like, not had to, you know, take out loans and, like, scrape by in college, but I did because I yeah. literally turned over all of this money to them so they could start these businesses, Jeez. which I then worked for for no money. Um, uh, so... Um, so my 21st birthday was on this Tuesday. I worked all day and he had this daycare, which was supposed to be a theater for his school. Mm-hmm. So I worked all day there and it was sort of like the standard <clears throat> practice for like any of our birthdays. He would like just not acknowledge that it was like your birthday. Yeah. Um, and so my mom, because I was turning 21, she decided to like cook this dinner at home and, you know, like get some wine or something. Um, and, um, he decided rather than like coming home, we would go out and buy like this wood chipper or something that he had found in like, you know, the predecessor to like Craigslist. Like he found in some like, you know, paper yeah, sure. flyer. Yeah. So we went on this like long journey out to, I don't even know where, some, some kind of like rural town in Georgia to buy this thing and got back and it was like, super late like way after dinner time and my mom was like enraged and um they got in this altercation and she ended up like pulling out this big you know um carving knife and stabbed him like three times in the back 
Um, so she went to prison that night, uh, or she went to jail that night. He went to the hospital that night. Um, and uh, so, like, um, and this was in front of my, thankfully, my one of my brothers was traveling at the time. But my youngest half-brother, Mike, was, was four at the time, was just on the couch oh witnessing God. all of this. Um, so, yeah, so after they were both gone, because my mom was, like, literally, you know, went in a police car to jail, and my, and Jack went in an ambulance to the hospital, I, you know, put Mike to bed, I waited until Jack called, I picked him up at, like, two in the morning, um, we somehow, like, figured out how we were gonna bail my mom out, um, I went to school, um, I tried to turn in my lab report, which I didn't finish, so I just, like, it's like, I'll just take the late grade, um, and that was, like, I think that was the first semester that I was starting to work for Rigoberto, mm -hmm. so I think, like, <laughs> this is again like something that like I did not have any capacity to process I had yeah. no way of processing that in the environment that I lived in but I was just like you know really like solidified like I I just I like I have to I just have to get out of here so like I think like I formed a lot of really strong bonds at that time I kind of like latched onto these people like Ashley who you met sure, Rigoberto yeah. other graduate students um, and it was sort of like I think in a, in some sense I was just like, okay, my way out is literally I'm gonna go to a different state to do my PhD, and I hope I never have to come back here. Mm -hmm. And um, so um, there were certainly like other events like that that reminded me of the end of Peachy with just mm -hmm. these, you know, just chaotic scenes um, where unfortunately like there was never an intervention uh, that was, you know, persistent enough to actually get us out of the situation. Yeah. Which, um, yeah. Wow. That's a terrifying story. Yeah, it was horrifying. Whew. Yeah, I mean, I knew there were, you know, a lot of dark events in your past, but I didn't know quite how dark it got, so. That does put last night in a very different context. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I mean... Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's, right, yeah, with, with, yeah, <laughs> with my mom, it's like, it's very, it's obviously very complicated, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I want to get to a place where, you know, I can forgive her for not, like, getting us out of a objectively awful situation, like, decades ago um but I also know that like you know she's a on her own also very deeply hurt 
person. Yeah. But, you know, before this, I think one of the reasons she was so susceptible to this is from a lot of other things that she just never dealt with. Yeah. But, um, but, but yeah, it's sort of like, it sort of baffles me to think that, like, she could do that, but couldn't just, like, do the obvious thing of being like, I'm going to take my children, which are my children and not actually your children at yeah. all, and just be like, why don't I leave? But, yeah, I mean, at the same time, like, yeah. you yourself said that yeah, up absolutely. until very recently, you were afraid that he would kill you if you, like, tried to cut off Pat. No, it's, abso- it's absolutely true. I mean, I think uh, it's absolutely true. No, it's like, um, yeah, I mean, I think um, there's, yeah, there's an awful lot that is, like, very binding about um, abuse, mm-hmm. which is, like, to go into particles, <laughs> so. Yeah, so what is that song about? I don't know, I just think of it as the fun song with all yeah. the horns in the middle. <laughs> well, so, um it sounds like a love song if you just pay attention to the <laughs> I'm utterly, utterly yours part, right? So there, there, may be, there may be elements of a love song in there as well. Um, and there's probably more to the song than what she talked about in the commentary version, but there is actually a literal... Um, literal barnacles. There is a, like a literal barnacles because her father was like a longshoreman or something. Oh, okay. and, um And so he had a boat and like literally seasonally they would scrape the barnacles off. Sure. But... Um, but what she was talking about, I think, is, like, a very, you know, it's a very, like, typical sort of, like, you know, emotional and psychological dynamic that happen with people that you have, like, a, you know, abusive or dysfunctional relationships with, which is that, like, there are these cycles of, like, there's something you know, very, you know, like, bad or, um, you know, distressing, and then there are things that, like, give you, like, these you know just flashes of hope mm-hmm. and you feel somehow like renewed or something like mm-hmm. is going to be better or different this time and so um so yeah i think like she and um her sister would like help him you know clean off his boat you know and they would sort of feel like i, I don't know if they felt like it was like this service to him that would be you know would, would like make things good again or if it just sort of mimicked sort of these cycles but like you know it's sort of like the boat would be clean and fresh and stuff this year will be better we have a fresh start exactly and then inevitably by the end of the year right everything is covered in barnacles again and the cycle repeats okay i guess i guess if you do try to think of it as like a love song which maybe is totally the wrong way to think about it like that you know, saying, take my lack of control and swallow it whole. Yeah. It's like, you know, imagining, like, yeah, meeting meeting someone who allows you to, like, finally contemplate a life outside what you had known and, like, being able to just escape that altogether. Yeah. But, yeah, maybe that's <laughs> totally missing, <laughs> missing the boat, so <laughs> to speak. The boat, yeah. Missing the boat for the barnacles. But yeah, barnacles is a... It does... It's like... Yeah, I think there's... Yeah, something very... 
misleading about the tone of that song. I mean, actually, like most of the songs, they're with most of the songs feel very fun. Yeah, I mean, there's only a handful of like, you know, somber sounding songs, yeah. right? Yeah, like the weight. Yes, the, the weight spelled W E I G H T sounds very somber. Yes, the weight spelled W A I T is a fantastic, like, super ripping fun song. Mm-hmm. Um, also, another one of my favorites. I just love that song. Oh, it's, it's great! Like, great. It has so much momentum. Yeah, it's fantastic. I yeah I. Yeah, I, I think also, like, it is kind of one thing that I miss from a lot of her more recent work, like, um, the use of horns throughout Cerversus. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're, they're, they serve very different roles in different songs, right? So, like, in The Weight, for example, they are just kind of, like, another texture to add to sort of, like, this you know, like, the jubilant instrumental, like, post-chorus thing that happens, whereas, yeah, in Barnacles, they're very much serving, yeah. like, yeah, a totally different role, and, um, yeah, I, I do kind of wish there were more horns in her later albums, yeah. but, um, yeah. Okay, so may- <laughs> maybe you're gonna ruin this one for me, too, but I feel like one song that has a very, like, poppy, bouncy, fun sounding or sound to it um, but has like, you know, somewhat disturbing lyrical imagery but is like much less you know, disturbing to the core unless I'm totally <laughs> missing, <laughs> missing this one as well is The Healthy One like, oh, that, yeah. like, to me that just sounds like, you know being alive in a pandemic or something which, yeah. I don't know From to me I've always kind of wondered like it almost sounds like she's writing it from the perspective of a young child experiencing, like, the outbreak of chickenpox, where, like, everyone's getting chickenpox except yeah. her. Yeah. And she's like, what is going to happen? Is everyone just going to die? But at the same time, you could imagine it's, like, from the perspective of, you know, a child from a different era in history where there's, like, an outbreak of polio or scarlet yeah. fever or cholera or something, and she's like, oh, literally everyone is dying. I'm going to have to attend all my siblings' funerals. Yeah. I'm going to bury you all on the ground. So, I don't know. Or it might all just be a metaphor for something else. So, again, according to the commentary, it is very much literal, and it's about, okay. I think, someone that grew up near her. And, um, and if I... If I'm remembering the details right, so, like, there was, like, this family, like, several children, the mother fell ill with something and I think died, and most of the children became ill with the same thing as well, but one child Mm, did not. And so, yeah, it's sort of, it's some some interpolation of what you're describing, but I think, I think it's sort of also, like, in a way, it's kind of trying to imagine, like, kind of the guilt and the burden of sort of being, like, parentified yeah. as, like... Yeah, yeah. The Young child who has yeah. far more responsibility than you should have at that age. Yeah. Absolutely. But, um, but yeah, no, it's really, like, oh, I didn't even think about the connection between, like, living in a pandemic now. I mean, it's, it has really... Uh, that does definitely put a different spin on things too. 
I always just felt like... Because, like, that is, like, a reality, too, right now, right? Like, you could be in a family. You could be the healthy one, yeah. And you could even, you could even be, a, and you could be the one that actually gets COVID, but is totally fine. And, yeah. like, everybody yeah. else, like, gets in and is really ill. Yeah. And it's so... Uh, yeah. I just always, like, the thing that stood out to me was that a lot of the language is very sort of primitive and childlike in a mm-hmm. lot of ways like you mm-hmm. know they they need to cut you to see if your blood was sick too mm-hmm. um which is why i kind of always imagined it was from the perspective of like a seven-year-old yes. who like doesn't really understand health medicine disease at all and it's just like seeing everyone around her get chicken pox and thinking it's like yeah. the end of the world no i think yeah i think it's very much supposed to be in the perspective of of that young person. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Oh, it's such a fun song, though. It is. It's, it's the Glockenspiel. It's yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an amazing song. Wow. Well, uh, I guess on the, uh, on the subject of, like, the less depressing songs on the album, uh, I, I have, like, uh, a story to tell about Montauk Monster. Okay, but I awesome. also haven't listened to the commentary, so maybe it is a depressing song. I don't know. Actually, I don't know if I could even recall the story of Montauk Monster. So, so do you know the story of the actual Montauk Monster? No, I don't. Okay, so it was like it was this thing that washed ashore on Montauk that was like you know looked like some incredible beast that had never been seen before, and people were like, oh my god, it's like some weird sea creature. Um, and it, of course, just turned out to be, like, a hoax. Someone, like, you know, put a bunch of animal fur and stuff together to, like, <laughs> make this weird-looking thing. Yeah. Um, but it was, like, this, this hoax that lasted, persisted for long enough for it to become, like, an urban legend. And so, like, you know, people tell stories about the Montauk monster. I don't know at, if the song is actually about that at all. All I know is that when I saw her play a solo show in the Chicago suburbs um, with Ryan Haight and Jason Pereira, yeah. <laughs> um, at one point she was like introducing a song and she was like, this is, uh, she's like, this is a song about, I think, I, I want to say she said monster, like okay. something like that, some kind of monster. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and without even thinking, I was just like, "Woo, Montauk Monster!" Yeah. And she looked over at me, and it, you know, it was a very small crowd. And she was like, "Oh, no, actually, this is a different song." But okay, I'll play that next. So then she she played whatever song it was. I don't even remember. Yeah. And I was just so giddy that she had like acknowledged me, and so I was just like waiting for Montauk Monster. And then she was telling a story before that. And she's like, "I wrote this song." During a period where I was smoking a lot of weed, just like constantly smoking weed, and I remember one day I was just stoned out of my mind, and I had my guitar, and my friend had just taught me this chord, which is, you know, yeah. the chord in Montauk yeah. Monster, and, <laughs> and she was like, I had never played or heard anything like it. And it was just so amazing to, like, feel the power of playing something that just felt so, like, gnarly and off in so yeah. many ways. And she's like, and I just, 
like, and I just played it over and over and over. And then eventually, like, got around to writing the song, but I just I wrote it in that, that context. So anyway, that's all I know about Montauk Monster, that she was very enamored of that. Yeah, that's awesome. Gross-sounding chord, I because not, she was really, really high. Yeah, I did not know that story. Um, I do, okay, so this is something that I know from the commentary, which actually is very personal for you. Uh, oh. Because I think, Oh, yeah! So... <laughs> So I think I must have been a different show like when you saw her actually in Chicago proper at the empty bottle at the empty bottle Um, So uh, she tells a story on the commentary version that in the middle of singing 808 in Chicago that like her voice just like broke and she's just like and I could not get any more words out and I remember Dugan telling me about like seeing this show when such a thing happened and then like being like, what should I play next? And him being like, tell your eyes. <laughs> Which, like, so the the ending of 808 has, like, some truly epic Laura Stevenson wailing. I mean, she has oh, yeah. such an amazing, like, powerful voice. And tell your eyes has even more epic, probably some, like, probably the most epic Laura Stevenson yeah, wailing. probably. It's unhinged how good her voice is it's so good it's so beautiful yeah and i remember just (laughs) saying it as a joke and she and her husband yeah like both like instantaneously just like looked at me with like this look of just sheer horror like (sighs) and then like i started laughing and she's like oh okay i get it good one (laughs) yeah Actually, so her, her, yeah, her voice gave out in 808, and then they went straight into Master of Art. Okay, and Which also is a really and like yeah. she she got through like the first verse, and then like the chorus started, and she was just like and just like shook her head and just like played it and like kind of yeah. like smiled and nodded along. It was like there's no way I'm singing this yeah. chorus. Yeah, and that's when I that's when I made the Telluride crap. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see other the other fascinating tidbit from the commentary that I that Dugan knows that I always like to share is the name of the song Peachy. Peachy yeah. is actually a reference to Corn's Life is Peachy because I guess when they were recording Sit Resist um, I think Jeff Rosenstock had introduced uh, um Corns unplugged into like the rotation of music they were just like listening to whenever they weren't recording, and they were just like obsessed with corns unplugged. <laughs> have you listened to that yet? I have a little bit. Oh, it's so good. I mean, like, there are parts of it that are actually good, there's a lot of parts that are like just so absurd that they're good, yeah, yeah. and then there are some parts that are just absolutely unlistenable but it's it's a fascinating fascinating listen especially the um the robert smith duet <laughs> make me <laughs> oh wow i didn't know that that happened okay yeah yeah he brings out robert smith he brings out amy lee at one point what? yeah i mean Maybe there's someone else who does it is like it's know. a great album if it's one thing that listening to the POD cast has reminded me is that it is truly remarkable how humongous Korn was for a while. Yeah. It's inescapable. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of unthinkable now. Yeah. 
but it is. And evidently how he... I think I was more aware... Well, I don't know. Actually, I'm not even sure I could, could have told you who was more humongous, Evanescence or Korn. I guess I would have guessed Evanescence, because they're certainly more accessible. But... I mean, they... Like, Evanescence's popularity, like, peaked when Korn's popularity was starting to fall off, I yeah. think. So... I think, like, you know, Korn... You know, we were talking about this earlier. The trajectory from the self-titled album to Fall of the Leader is, like, very, very... Uh... <laughs> steep I guess yeah and a lot of, like you know they're stylistically they're worlds apart from each other yeah and I think you know they very much paved the way for things like Evanescence and Linkin Park to um, you know capture a lot of the audiences that wanted something a little rougher than the other like popular teen music at the time but nothing like too rough. Yeah, <laughs> they were ne- they were never gonna rock out to the self-titled album. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it is very funny to imagine. You know, now that new metal is very much in the conversation and new metal is back, but when Sit Resist came out, like new metal was still very much like a oh we don't talk about those days. Yeah, right. Sort yeah, of thing. Exactly. And imagining Laura Stevenson and Jeff Rosenstock and everyone else just like yeah. jamming out to unplugged corn. <laughs> Which, yeah, the most shocking thing about that album is that it came out in 2007. Yeah. Like long, long after corn's commercial peak. Yeah. Long after I even would have imagined that unplugged still existed as an entity. But. Yeah. Alright, well, what else is there that we haven't talked about? Uh, well, we didn't really talk about Master of Art. No, which we is like the hit off the album, yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And yeah. it's, I, I have to say, it's like one of a very small number of songs that manages to open with the Be My Baby yeah. drum beat. And actually, you know, deliver. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. You don't particularly like the uh, the um, the Phil Spector kind of dun dun dun. I don't dislike it. I just think that like in contemporary music, it's just like it's often just very lazy, right? Yeah. It's like an easy thing to to deploy to try to. Like, to try to like, you know, Hook engage people's yeah. sort of nostalgia sensors or something like that. But Master yeah. of Art definitely, definitely delivers. Yeah. Although it is, it is strange to me that it's like the big hit. I guess hit is. A, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it. Use, I, but. I feel like it's. I'm not that surprised. It's extraordinarily catchy, and it's it is. also has a lot of. I feel like it has good staying power too. It's not. It's a really catchy song, but it, I have never gotten sick of it. Sure. Um, sure. You know, it, it's not my. Obviously, it's not my favorite track because I've already said like, probably like 808 or the way. Probably one of those two mm. would be my favorite. I. But I do love it a lot. 
I, I would have to say if I had to pick, it would probably be the healthy one or caretaker. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, nope, nope, nope. I take it back. The song that we haven't even mentioned yet. Halloween Part Halloween 1 part and 2. Halloween Part 1 and 2. Oh, my no, God. It's fantastic. Song. Oh, every time I put on that album, it's like... We talked about this in the Dirty episode. Yeah. That there's like a very small number of songs that at some point in the song, regardless of how many times I've heard it or the context for when I'm hearing it, it will always give me chills no matter what. Yeah. I mentioned it for Dirty um, because of... um, Oh my god, why can't I think of the song right now? Shoot. Shoot. Yeah. Like the climax and shoot. Um, and that, you know, one of the other few examples is another Sonic Youth song, New York City Ghosts and Flowers. Yeah. Okay. The opening of Halloween Parts 1 yeah. and 2 gets me every single time. No, it is totally fantastic. Um, yes, it's just like a super, like, textured like opening there's just this like buzz like this amplifier guitar buzz and it's like lightly strummed guitar but super overdriven it's just like on the cusp of like explosion yeah um and it's got some string in there too i have no idea if it's like cello or yeah i don't know something in companies but um yeah it's a great song and it's named after the horror movies Halloween 1 and 2. Which are great movies. Um, yeah, and it's... <laughs> I think it's about... Yeah, I think it's a very relatable theme um, as well because it's sort of like... Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm... Yeah, like... I don't actually really like horror that much, but it's very much like about like these rituals of like self-soothing or like self... <laughs> you know, like numbing that you go through like when you yeah. are you know, just can't deal with, like, what you are feeling. Oh, is that what it's about? Yeah. Like, watch, it's about her watching the Halloween movies to, like, just sort of, like, tune out Yeah. the actual, like, horrors in her life? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I did not know that. I knew it was about the Halloween movies, but I, I didn't <laughs> think about it much more deeply than that. Um, yeah. That's how I, I also really like that, um, yeah, in addition to the horns, the accordion is obviously, like, super yeah. important to that song. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing that I feel like I, I, I wish there were more of in her more recent yeah. music. The accordion um, plays a very important role, particularly in that song. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up how, how weird the guitar tone is for, like, the the context of, you know, the sound of that particular song. Yeah. Because I feel that way a lot later in the album with the bass tone. Okay. There's, like, a few songs where the bass is, like, super overdriven, like, very rumbly yeah. and just, like, kind of buzzy, I guess is a better word. Yeah. But it... It really punctuates in like in an interesting in an interesting way that like seems kind of out of place with the folkier sound of the music. But yeah. I th- I think it really helps in that there's a lot of songs on the album that have 
um, like right now the, mo the part I'm thinking of is the the part in Caretaker where she says like I'm gonna write write yeah. write to, yeah where the rhythmic part is itself like the hook yeah um in a way that's like totally unforced and totally like serves the song itself it's not like you know her trying to be mathy or whatever but it's just yeah. like yeah where there's like a part where the band is going to do this weird rhythmic thing but it, it it's making it's you know emphasizing this particular part of the lyrics um and i think that that bass tone help, helps with that a lot in many instances yeah. I'm oh. really starting to worry that this thing only records when the screensaver's not on. This is taking like oh, really? four minutes. <laughs> I think I'm pretty. Yeah, I'm still recording. Okay, good. Um, yeah, I'm at an hour and eight minutes. Okay. I'm wondering. Yeah. The only song I can think of that we haven't mentioned yet is. Uh, Red, Red Clay Roots. Clay Roots. Yeah. yeah. Which is definitely the outlier. Yeah. Um, it reminds me a lot. I always associate it, you know, for, for pretty obvious aesthetic reasons with um, that song on Portishead's third. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm not. It also has like the barbershop vocal sound okay. to it. Yeah. I'm not. I, I'm not really familiar with Portishead, so I cannot. Oh, for some reason, I thought I. I, okay. I feel like Ashish is a big portis. Yeah, player. that's probably yeah. it. I'm just confusing you with him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I. What do you think of that song? It sounds like. I think when I first heard it. So okay. So both of us, the first Laura Stevenson we ever heard was Wheel. Yeah. Like. My friend. Brian Glidewell, shout out to Brian Glidewell, my former radio host at WMBR, um, sent me through Spotify back when Spotify had like a, a sharing yeah. thing that wasn't just like, oh, here's the link that you can yeah. send to someone. Um, he sent me Runner when it was released as an advanced single for Wheel. And I remember hearing it and being like, what is this? This is amazing. I can't wait for this album to come out. Um, and then when it did, it's like Jay, you gotta you gotta check out this this Laura Stevenson, and so so yeah, Wheel was both of our first exposure, and then obviously worked our way back through Sit Resist and a record. But at that point, like you know, I was just like I had three albums, so I was just listening to them a lot because I thought it was all really great, um, but didn't really have much context for her or her music, so I didn't really know anything about her. So when I heard Red Clay Roots for the first time, I was like, oh, is she, like, from the South? Yeah. <laughs> not at all. No, not at all. Out. But I guess she had a, I guess her grandmother was from South Carolina. Oh, okay. Or lived, moved there, so. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't come off as, like, you know... Yeah, it doesn't come off as, like, an authentic cheap. in any way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I, I think it's a good song. It's, you know... not the, I, I think that song reminds me the most of a record, in yeah. that... They're, don't get me wrong, they're great songs on that album, but it's... 
it's it's much more of like a collection of a handful of great songs and a handful of like decent yeah. sort of uh, genre explorations that you know are, are they're they're nice to listen to but they're not like groundbreaking I, I think the jump from a record to sit resist is like one of the most yeah. staggering yeah uh, you know glow-ups you might say in in music that i've ever heard like i i yeah i mean if it's not obvious from how we've been talking about it so far i think both of us would say it's pretty safe to say that sit resist is one of our all-time favorite albums yes and like an absolute masterpiece in every possible sense of the word and absolute classic so nothing against a record it's a very good album but it's like you know how does that stand up to one of the greatest albums of all time? <laughs> In the canon. Yeah. Of, yeah, definitely. There's someone, I uh, someone's, I was wearing my Sit Resist t-shirt all day today, and I was walking on the Belt Line here in Atlanta, and I was stopped by someone uh, who asked me, what is that chair doing on your shirt? <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's from the record cover of an album by Laura Stevenson and she was like describe the record for me and I was like it's amazing (laughs) (laughs) nothing I can say about it could possibly do it justice (laughs) (laughs) yeah so but shout out to that person because I think it's literally the first person that's ever asked me about that particular t-shirt okay I think it's not like my uh, Milk Eyed Minder yeah, hoodie. That is a, it's li- very. Everybody asks me about it because I literally have the cover of Milk Eyed Minder screen printed on a hoodie. I mean, it is. It's it very much catches your eye. You can't yeah. ignore that. No. Whereas the Sit Resist is very subtle. It's pretty subtle. Like it's it's basically a yellow T-shirt with like a small, uh, like brown stamp of the, the album cover and the words Laura Stevenson Sit Resist. So. It is quite subtle. It's very I, tasteful, though. Yeah, yeah. I w- I got it, by the way, when... I don't know if... Um, do you have that t-shirt? Because I, I just bought it with no. the package no. when I bought the stream of mm. Laura Stevenson's COVID performance. No, I missed that. Yeah. I didn't even see that as an option. Um, we have an awful lot of Laura Stevenson merch at home at this point. <laughs> we have a beanie. Oh, yeah. Like four t-shirts and a poster some point we'll have our new self-titled yeah. <laughs> um when i when i went to chicago like a m- month or so ago for beam time um i think it was actually when i was flying back uh i was getting on the plane and you know you're doing like the the walk down the aisle past all the people who are already seated i'm just like standing there waiting for the people ahead of me to, to move and this old guy who's sitting in the seat next to where I was standing uh, just like looks up at me and like grabs my arm and he's like hey if you want to go dolphin watching <laughs> give me a call I'm your guy and I was like <laughs> what is happening to me right now and then I realized after I like got in my seat that I was wearing my Merzbow t-shirt that just says 
It has a cartoon of a dolphin, like, jumping out of the water, and it just says, Mersbow, don't kill dolphins. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and it's like, okay, that makes it... Slightly better. Slightly less weird, but still very weird. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I was, I was just so confused in the moment. I was like, oh, I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> that was the last time someone commented on one of my band t-shirts. <laughs> oh weird weird experience <laughs> yes, you never know what you're gonna get yeah well any uh final thoughts on sit resist i think that about does it for me <laughs> <laughs> i yeah. uh yeah this is an absolute ice classic ice, ice classic nine, for sure ice classic whatever is better ice nine classic <laughs> yeah um, yeah, it's be. I would say it's pretty much a flawless album. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or if you don't want to call it a flawless album, the flaws are fantastic. I don't know, whatever. It's. Amazing. But yeah, I mean, I feel like the closest thing to a flaw on the album would be Red Clay Roots. But even that's a very good song. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. It's very enjoyable. It's very well done. It's just like, you know, not one of the greatest songs I've ever heard. Whereas, like, almost everything else on the album yeah. is. Yeah. So, yeah. And, yeah. Shot, like, you know, I, I mentioned this earlier, but, like, shockingly cohesive for how diverse it is in sound. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely Ice Classic. Well, uh, happy ACS, Jay. Yes, definitely. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I'm hereby committing to more regular record yes. <laughs> recordings That's of right. the Kepper Mayor. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll... We promoted it so much at this conference yeah. that... We do have us. a lot of great episodes planned. We do. We have a lot of great guests planned... We've um, got our Back to Basic series planned. Yeah. I'm very so, excited for it. Lots of good stuff on the horizon. Yeah. 